0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: What is needed in the pulpits of the world today is a combination of clarity and courage. We need to know how to say the things that need to be said and we need to say the things that need to be said even though they're hard things sometimes even though they're things that people find difficult to listen to.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, in a message titled, Clarity, Courage, and the Gospel. Now, here's Pastor Brian.
1: All right, so here we are in Ephesians once again, and we come now to our final study here in this epistle of Paul to the church in Ephesus. And and before we look at the the passage that we'll finish up with today, I wanted to just kind of highlight where we've been through this study. You remember perhaps that we we considered it from the standpoint of being a revelation of the wealth, the walk, and and the warfare of the Christian. And in the first few chapters, the first three chapters, Paul really lays out for us the wealth of the Christian. And as I pointed out before, in those three chapters, there's no personal application necessarily in the sense of Christian duty, the first three chapters are just the apostle reminding us and and telling us in a variety of different ways all of the great and wonderful things that God has done for us, the wealth that we have as his people. And so let me just give you some quick reminders of some of the stuff that we looked at. We saw there uh, that we are chosen, We're, we're God's chosen people, we're chosen by the Father we are redeemed by the Son. We are sealed unto the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's kind of the, the emphasis that Paul introduces us to the epistle with. Blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he moves on to talk about how, although we were formerly dead in trespasses and sins, we've been made alive together in Christ and how all of this has been done through God's grace. It's there in the second chapter, that famous statement For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then he goes on to tell us that we, as the church, are actually God's masterpiece. everything that God has created, the universe itself, the earth, and all of the various life forms and everything is as majestic as all of that is, is, even the angelic realm. Paul tells us here that the church is the ultimate in God's creative work. We we are his masterpiece. And we, non-Jews, Gentiles, who have been brought into this new thing, we are no longer strangers and foreigners but we are fellow citizens with the saints. We are members of the household of God. Remember Paul uh, told us we're actually part of a new humanity. God is doing a whole new thing, starting with the church. He's creating a new humanity. God has become our father, and as our father, he is doing exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that's working in us. All of these things and more are part of the wealth that we possess as Christians. So then from there, having laid out for us all of these great things that God has done, it's only then that the apostle brings us to the the personal application part where he begins to exhort us on how to walk And remember, the word walk is a word that's really referring to our lifestyle, our our conduct, our manner of living. He starts, he says that we're to walk worthy of the Lord. He starts it all there. He says that we are to walk in unity with one another. He uh, says, uh, essentially, we are to walk righteously. And he gives us the contrast between unrighteous living and righteous living. We are to walk in love. We're to love one another as... Christ loved us. We're to walk in love. He says we are to walk in the light and we are to walk in wisdom. And there in that same portion, he, he talks about being filled with the Spirit and how being filled with the Spirit is going to impact us in every facet of our life. It's going to impact us personally. It's going to impact us in the context of our families, our marriages, our parenting and and all of those kinds of things is gonna impact us in the workplace, out in the world, and uh, being filled with the Spirit is gonna impact uh, what we do right here in the church. And so that's the wealth, the walk. And then finally, as you know, we've been talking about the warfare. The warfare, be strong in the Lord. As Paul is coming to the, to the, to the conclusion of the, of the epistle, remember there in verse 10, he says, finally, my brethren, as he concludes things, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God. And so we've been looking at all the different facets of this uh, spiritual battle that we are in. And then Paul brings that to a conclusion with praying always, with all prayer and supplication and uh, praying for the saints. And so now we come to verse 19, where he then includes himself in this request for prayer. And pray for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so here's Paul's request and then from verses 21 to 24 he just really concludes the epistle but that you also may know my affairs speaking to those there in Ephesus and how I am doing Tychicus a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make all things known to you whom I have sent to you for this very purpose that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts peace to the brethren And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, amen. And so there it is, the conclusion of the epistle. But I want to focus today, as we do conclude, I want to focus on Paul's request for prayer. You know, sometimes we can mistakenly think that Christian leaders are... You know, stronger than everybody else, and they're sort of immune to the the struggles and the difficulties and the problems that the average Christian person goes through. That is not true. We are just as uh, weak and feeble and vulnerable as as anybody else. All that to say, we need prayer. And here's the great Apostle Paul, the person that we think of as invincible, the person who is just you know, he's filled with with courage and there's, there's never a, a daunting situation from his point of view, we, we would think. But the fact of the matter is Paul was human just like we are. And here he acknowledges his own need and his own dependency on the prayers of others. And so those of us who are in Christian leadership, those of us who are in pastoral roles or positions where we are, are publicly preaching the gospel or whatever the case, we need prayer. And we depend on prayer. And, and part of the way we wage war is, is praying for one another. And part of the way that, that you make a, a contribution is to pray for us as well. Uh, those of us that have the opportunity, maybe that the average person doesn't have, we have the opportunity to, to publicly speak forth the gospel. We find ourselves many times in situations, uh, unique kinds of situations where we get to testify on behalf of Christ. and And yet those kinds of things can be intimidating. So we're so dependent on the fact that you're praying for us. And we're so thankful that you are. And Paul recognized his own need for that. And so he says, pray for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly. So two things that he's asking for specifically, that utterance may be given to me and that I may speak forth boldly. Uh, the word utterance here could be, you could, you could translate it actually clarity. Paul is saying, pray for me for clarity. Pray for me so when I open my mouth to speak the gospel, that I speak it forth clearly. But not only pray for clarity, but pray for boldness or pray for courage. We need courage to speak forth the gospel. The devil, one of his tactics is is intimidation. He's always seeking to intimidate. He wants us to be quiet. He, he doesn't want us to speak, so he, he comes with all different kinds of threats. Sometimes they're just you know, things in our own head, like, well, you know, if you say that, what, what are these people gonna think about you? Uh, but sometimes it's even more uh, physically type of a, of a threat. You know, some, sometimes people would say, you know, either you be quiet or, or we'll, we'll silence you ourselves by beating you or by casting you into prison or, or, or something like that. Of course, those would have been the kinds of things that Paul faced. And those are the kinds of things that some people still face today. But clarity and courage, that's what he's asking for prayer for. Let me read to you from John Stott. He said this. He said, clarity and courage remain two of the most crucial characteristics of authentic Christian preaching, for they relate to the content of the message preached and to the style of its presentation. Some preachers have the gift of lucid teaching, but their sermons lack solid content. Their substance has become diluted by fear. Others are bold as lions. They fear nobody and omit nothing, but what they say is confused and confusing. Clarity without courage is like sunshine in the desert, plenty of light, but nothing worth looking at. Courage without clarity is like a beautiful landscape at nighttime, plenty to see, but no light by which to see it. What is needed in the pulpits of the world today is a combination of clarity and courage. I think he's so absolutely right. That's what's needed. A combination of of clarity and courage. We need to know how to say the things that need to be said, and we need to say the things that need to be said, even though they're hard things sometimes, even though they're things that people find difficult uh, to listen to. So we need that prayer. Courage it's always taken courage to speak or to preach the gospel. And every generation has taken courage to, to preach the gospel. Back in Paul's time, obviously, they very much needed courage. They, they needed God supernaturally to supply them with boldness because they were constantly faced with opposition. I mean, you can hardly read through the book of Acts without, on almost every page finding that there's opposition to what they were doing. As they would go into the various towns and into the places that they would go, the cities, the villages, whatever it might be, and as they would proclaim the gospel, lead people to Christ, there was always pushback that was taking place. There were beatings, there were arrests, there were imprisonments, there were stonings. This is what the apostles lived with. Now, through the long history of the church, this has been the experience of many people Uh, like I said a moment ago, right up to this very day in a number of different places. It is still taking your life into your hands in some places to go out and to preach the gospel. So it's always taken courage. Even if you don't have that kind of physical opposition or opposition from the authorities or whatever, there's, there's spiritual opposition. I'll never forget being in Union Square in New York City in, what was it, September... 14th, 2001, three days after 9-11. And they're in in that place, having this opportunity to speak the gospel to thousands of people that were there mourning the the fact that they'd lost family and friends and loved ones and so forth. But but I'll never forget being there and, and doing that and standing up with a microphone, speaking to these crowds, and in my mind, having the devil himself just pressuring me like, wait, you know, you better watch it. Oh, you say in the name of Jesus, you're going to get in all kinds of trouble. And it was just like this relentless sort of mental beating that I was experiencing while I was seeking to communicate the gospel. That's what the devil does. And, and, you know, that intimidation, like, oh, don't say this. Oh, you better watch that. Oh, if you say that, you know what's going to happen. And, and that's what he tries to do. And so we need courage. And as resistance grows toward God's word in our cultural situation, as, as, we, as we're beginning to see, um, there, there's more open resistance to the word of God in this country today than there probably ever has been in its entire history after the colonial period. There, were, there was some... Pretty intense persecution during the, the colonial period for certain people. But once the nation was established and so forth, it's been a relatively free and easy environment in which to proclaim the gospel. But we're finding that uh, that's changing and it's changing rapidly. So the point is, we need courage. And how are we going to get that courage? Paul said, Pray for me. Pray for me that I would have boldness. Pray for us. Let's pray for one another that I would have boldness. And he said, pray for me that I would be given this, this clarity, the, the ability to speak. And notice Paul is looking at this as not something that, that he is responsible to sort of conjure up. He's asking them to pray that God would give him the ability. He's praying for a supernatural thing. Jesus, that's exactly what he said in the passage that we read together today in Matthew chapter 10. Remember, he said, in that hour when they bring you before magistrates and kings and so forth, he said, don't meditate on what you're gonna say because it will be given to you. Paul was probably thinking about what Jesus had said when he's asking for the prayer, praying that God would give. So as you pray for us, Pray these things. Pray that God would give us words, clarity, the ability to, in the right way, to bring the gospel to people in a clear, in a, in a straightforward way, and that we would have the boldness to step up and take advantage of the opportunities. But you know, today, we, we really do, as I think about this, we, we need both of these things. We need the boldness, but we really need a lot of wisdom on how to, how to frame what we're going to say these days. You know, there are all, all kinds of sort of minefields out there. You're, you're walking through a minefield whenever you get up and speak, and especially if you're doing it outside of a context like we're doing it today. You know, here today, there's a lot of grace, and I can pretty much you know, say anything and most of you are going to say, yeah, okay, that's fine. You know, some of you might disagree a little bit, give a little bit of pushback here or there, but, but it's a different story when we go out in public, isn't it? And there you have to have a ton of wisdom and you have to really be given by God the ability to, to frame the message in such a way as to not, you know, push people away before they can actually get a chance to hear it. This is sometimes what happens. So Paul says, pray for us, that we would have clarity and courage, and that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul preached the gospel. And we need to think about this for a moment. We all assume that this is what we do. We preach the gospel. And yet, we can think we're preaching the gospel sometimes, and we're really not. The gospel has been, even in churches and from pulpits, the gospel has been confused with other things. But let let me just state what Paul preached as the gospel. Paul preached the gospel that said in essence, this is the essence of the gospel, we are more sinful than we could ever imagine, but more love than we could ever dream. It's kind of a paraphrase of a Tim Keller statement, but that's the gospel. We're more sinful than we could ever imagine, but we're more loved than we could ever dream. And this love has provided atonement for sin and deliverance from his power. You see, Paul preached a gospel that called people to come just as they are to Christ, who would receive them, forgive them, and cleanse them. That's our gospel. Our gospel is a call for people to come to Jesus. That's what the gospel is. To come to Jesus, who came into this world for the express purpose of taking our sin upon him and dying in our place on the cross and rising from the dead and being alive now, again, forever, alive, and, and ready to, to come into our lives and to meet us and transform us. That is the gospel. But listen, we have to be careful that we don't substitute other things for the gospel. And this happens, and it has happened, and it still happens, and we've got to be on our guard, that we do not substitute moralism for the gospel. You see, a lot of what is being presented as the gospel today is really it's moralism, it's not really gospel. Moralism is essentially, okay, you, here, here's the things you've gotta do and then that'll make God happy. That's moralism. The gospel is all about everything God's done. And then we just respond to that. But you see, when we focus too much on particular sins, we have drifted from the gospel to moralism. Now listen to what I mean by this. Think about this with me. When we say things like this, and we've all said it, I've said it, I've said these things. But when we say these things, we need to be aware of what we're actually doing. When we say things like this, hey, you shouldn't use that kind of language. You know, maybe you're at work, maybe you're in an office or something, somebody's got a, a foul mouth, and, and there you are, and as a Christian, you're just you're offended by, by the way they're talking, and you say to them, hey. You know, you shouldn't talk like that. Or maybe, you know, you, you, somebody, maybe somebody's having a drink. You say, hey, you know, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol. Or you shouldn't be having sex with your girlfriend or with your boyfriend. Uh, or maybe it, it's, uh, you know, you shouldn't be in that same-sex relationship. Or, or whatever we might say like that. Listen, whether we intend to or not, this is important, whether we intend to or not, we are suggesting that if a person changes their behavior, then they will be accepted by God. This is religious moralism. It is not the gospel.
0: And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the
1: studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. I want to tell you about one of my favorite biographies. I love biographies, and this book is so fantastic. It's called Out of the Black Shadows, and it's the story of a young man named Stephen Lungu, And let me just read you an excerpt from the back of the book. It says, instead of throwing bombs, he stayed to listen. What followed was better than fiction. So young man in Rhodesia, Africa, who comes into a tent meeting as a terrorist intending to blow everybody up. And instead, hears the gospel. And this takes him on a journey throughout the rest of his life to proclaim the gospel to his people in Africa. So I love this book. I read it years ago. It's just been republished, and that's Out of the Black Shadows, and that's by Stephen Lungu and Anne Coombs with a foreword by Patrick Johnston, who was the evangelist preaching at the time when he attempted to burn down the tent. So check this book out. I think you're going to love it.
0: Again, this month's resource is a book titled Out of the Black Shadows by Stephen Lungu with Ann Coombs. You can order the book Out of the Black Shadows by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Out of the Black Shadows by Stephen Lungu and Ann Coombs. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you